I want to welcome you to the Retro Rogues Live. Please pay attention to our warning graphic. It states that the Retro Rogues Live show is intended for an adult audience and not intended for children under the age of 13. Parental discretion is advised. All right, I want to welcome you to this episode of the Retro Rogues Live. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about uh, some fanatics. I guess is the best way to put it. That'll be in the news section. We've got some more machine trading card picks. We also have uh, a little bit of talk about Gene Roddenberry. Um, a lot of other news, different things kind of here and there, probably towards the end of the show, and maybe a little bit of convention talk if we have time. My name is Dave Beatty. I'm one of your hosts for nearly the last 30 years. I've been a professional illustrator and graphic designer. Worked on a lot of fun things that some people have heard of, such as Batman Incorporated, Justice League of America, and even Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. But enough about that. I want to welcome back my co-host. This is Mr. Eric Alexander. Eric, please tell the folks, hopefully watch your listening at home, some of the fun things you have worked on as a creative professional. Yes, hello, everyone. I'm Eric Alexander, also known as Bass God 14. That's Bass God 14, not Bass God. That's Bass God, like a bass guitar. And I'm the Chief Financial Officer of Bad Bob Productions, which is a film production company located in Arizona. Currently, I'm the executive producer on a film called Staycation, which has been filming all over the world via Zoom and on location in California. Very cool, very cool. All right, we're going to start off the, the show, actually, with our picks. We always do a collector's corner pick. Um, I've been focusing on primarily trading cards, which will be oddly prophetic by the time we get to the news portion of the show. Um, but uh, for this evening's picks, um, I have two, and I picked them for kind of a weird reason. So um, I was thinking about this, trying to figure out what I wanted to focus on for tonight's show. And I thought it'd be interesting if we could focus on a first appearance card that a lot of modern collectors might have in their collection today. You know, people who are collecting, you know, trading cards primarily in the 90s, something they might already have in their collection today, because I thought that would be really kind of an interesting kind of point of focus. And so I've also been thinking a lot about the Marvel shows, because um, we're not going to show the clips because we get in trouble, but um, <laughs> Marvel is actively filming Moon Knight. If you go on the internet and if you search high and low, you can actually see shots of either a stuntman or possibly even uh, Oscar Isaac uh, actually in the Moon Knight outfit filming stuff. So they are filming Moon Knight right now. And I was thinking about all the other Disney Plus stuff. They had a new trailer for Eternals come out that looked actually kind of fun. Um, uh, Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, however you're supposed to say it, that movie's coming out really <laughs> soon. I heard, I hear it's pretty good, so I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I don't know how the hell you're supposed to say the name right now, because I keep hearing a thousand different things. Because I always heard it one way, having grown up reading the old master kung fu comics and everybody's telling me that's not how you say it so i don't if i'm saying it incorrectly i'm not trying to offend anybody i'm just confused i'm old what do you want i'm old <laughs> right i'm an old man this is the retro rogues there you go well chris roberts hits the nail right in the head he says yeah let's not go for the copyright strikes on the show laugh out loud yeah chris yeah. it's kind of funny sometimes because like I was just watching Nerdrotic last night and they did a, a, a trailer reaction to Eternals. And I'm like, they did it with the full audio and the whole deal. And I have to wonder, he might not even care if he gets demonetized because they rely on Super Chats, I think, so much. So maybe he doesn't even care at this point if he gets demonetized. Because I did hear that uh, Midnight's Edge had an issue one time where they did that and their video did get demonetized because they were doing a trailer reaction. So it's weird. Uh, trailer reactions are really weird. That used to be a staple 
uh, especially of YouTube, there's whole channels dedicated to it. Now it seems like it's a big issue. Oh, by the way, Gap Stargate, uh, it's been a while. Uh, good to see you, Gap Stargate. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, Gap, we haven't seen you in a while, so I'm curious what it is you uh, decided to, to make you check out the show tonight because we have not seen you in a while. So uh, hail to you, Gap Stargate. It's nice to see you again. It's been a long time. And, and, and he's on Twitter, which is – we never get comments from Twitter, so that's kind of interesting as well. <laughs> is it Twitch or Twitter? I thought that was Twitch. Is that the Twitch icon? Th this yeah, one the is Twitter. the – that's the that's Twitter, Twitter icon. That's the Twitter icon. Got it, got it. Sorry. I was, I was confused. Very rare. Yeah, Actually, that's... we get – we get less we get less twitter comments than we do twitch and we barely get any twitch comments so so um i am going to start with this just because i want to talk about it just briefly um i did get my copy of uh batman 89 number one finally i actually ordered it off a place off the internet because i was hoping i would get like a really good copy and i bought the virgin copy which means it doesn't have the logos and the masthead and stuff and everything on it and oh, the cover the cover by Jerry Ordway is really great. We got, uh, I don't know if you guys can see it. It doesn't really matter because I, I ordered it from this place because I wanted to be sure I got a mint copy and sure as heck I got a big old bad uh, spine bend. So there's no point in getting it graded. But anyhow, David uh, Motts likes it. David Mott says nice cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got uh, right here, we got Two-Face, uh, Billy D. Williams Two-Face, no less. Uh, this cover is great. Um, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, I've been excited for it. I flipped through it. I know the main artist in the book is like a big Batman 89 fan. I was looking at his Twitter feed and everything, and I'm excited that he got the gig. Um, but to be honest, I would have hired Jerry Ordway to draw the book because there'd be con continuity with the 89 Batman movie adaptation. It's not that he's not doing a good job. It's just I would have preferred there be a continuity with Jerry Ordway so that you can put it next to your 89 Batman at, cause that's what I'm gonna do with mine. I'm gonna put it next to in the same box of my Batman 89 adaptation. And I think it'd been just kind of neat if stylistically the interior art had matched up more closely with that. But that's just my own personal opinion. We're getting off topic, but I wanted to talk about that cause it came in the mail finally. So I wanted to mention it. Yeah, Lynn Workman says he, he picked up the Virgin cover and regular when we were out for uh, free comic book day and he says we haven't read it yet so very cool very cool all right let's i forgot let's go i remember we talked about free comic book day before before last week and i completely forgot all about free comic book day so in in the hustle and bustle of vegas you know for, for those that you don't know i was at i was at uh, i was in vegas the whole last week I, I came back on sunday morning and so, um, yeah, that kind of slipped my mind. I, I did go to a comic book store, too, though, while I was out at Vegas. But that, that totally slipped my mind that free comic book day was going on around that time. Well, and I was at that event on Saturday that was considered to be kind of part of free comic book day, too, that uh, Fandom Mania at the Finley Toyota Center, which we might talk a little bit more about our events that we were at a little bit later in the show. So let's go ahead and get into the, 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 the return of the cons. Or, or is it? Is it a false start? Yeah. Stay tuned. You know what I mean? So, so I, I do let's, have some insight into that if we have time. Let's go ahead and get into the picks. I've got my notes here. Everybody, I've got my notes. Um, and again, so primarily we like to do here in the Collector's Corner, I try to find picks for us. They're $20 or less, $20 or less. So it's not that much of an investment if, if you want to get into the, the either the comic book or the trading card speculation game. And 
as I was saying before, I was looking for stuff that a lot of the modern collectors might already have in their collection. And I was thinking about the Disney Plus shows that are on the horizon, the Marvel stuff specifically. Because, you know, we got a new Eternals trailer. We got the, the Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, however you're supposed to say it, getting ready to come out. So I was thinking, well, what else? Well, we know that um, War Machine, okay, is going to be getting a, a show. Um, and War Machine is going to be doing an Armor Wars, unless plans have changed, because you never know, plans might have changed. But they announced at one of the Disney investor calls that uh, War Machine was going to be in an Armor Wars Disney Plus series. Okay, so I was like, okay, well, let's look at War Machine. War Machine's a relatively new character. I wonder if that first appearance might already be in your collection and you don't realize it. Lo and behold, I think it is. So... Uh, here is mine right here. I actually uh, pulled it out here just for full disclosure. Here's my copy right here. Um, so this is uh, from 1993. This is the Skybox Marvel Masterpiece. This is card number 69. This is War Machine. This is the Jim Rhodes War Machine, no less. This, as far as I could tell, is your first appearance of War Machine on a trading card. Um, so this is going to be it right here, everybody. Um I went and looked at the population account on PSA. There, as it currently sits, there may be stuff percolating, but as it currently sits, there are only 11 graded cards of this in the population account over at PSA, according to their website. So there's not a lot of graded versions of this card out there. But we're going to talk about raw, and we're going to talk about graded, and we're going to speculate on the value. Yes, this Gap Stargate is a nice card. I agree with you. This is a Joe Jusco card. Joe Jusco is the artist who um, basically started all the Marvel Masterpieces stuff in the first place. So the fact that this is Joe Jusco and it's War Machine's first appearance makes this card even more special. Okay? And in my mind, anyway, it makes it even more special. So what do we think, everybody? Those of you who are out there in the Rogues Gallery, feel free to play along. What do you think this card goes for raw? Again, this is, as far as I can tell, first appearance of War Machine on a trading card. What do you think? You know, it, it always seems like these the the anything beyond the 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 nineteen what the the original uh, Impel cards always seem to be incredibly, you know, incredibly low values, incredibly low values. Right. Um, David Watt says five. <laughs> Gap says 5K. <laughs> You're 5, way 000. off, Gap. You're way off, Gap, Sergey. I'm very sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with what David Mott says. I'm going to say around five bucks. All right. Well, there we go. We have some winners. We have some winners. Uh, you can't get it for less than $5 if you shop around. But based on the research I was looking at on Mercari and also on eBay, there appear to be uh, decent graded versions of this card out there that are available. $5 and up raw. Again, $5 and up raw. Uh, the card that we're seeing here on the screen is a scan of my actual card, by the way. Um, now, um, here's the really interesting thing. Again, I told you the population account, relatively low for this card. Um, what do we think this goes for graded? Say a, a 9 or a 10. What do we, what, what do we think? And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't find a lot of information for this, but I did find... One example, it is what someone is asking more than what it's necessarily sold for. But again, there's not that many of these out. PSA 9, PSA 10, what do we think? What do we think a graded version of this card 
might go for. What do you think, Eric? Well, Gap Stargate says uh, 8.9. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking, is he saying $8.90? <laughs> That's what I think Gap was trying to say. Chris right. Roberts says 125 125 Not bad. Um, Not bad. You know, it's, it's so hard with these, these more modern cards because in some ways they almost seem worthless. And we've seen numerous times where it's like it's not even worth getting them graded. It's like it, it, the cost of getting them graded is, is not even the cost of the card. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, it's kind right. of crazy what happens sometimes. The, the one difference with this card, though, Eric, is going to be this is your first appearance of War Machine on a trading card. There you go. I think David Motz is going with the, the Price is Right strategy against Chris Roberts because he says 126 when Chris Roberts said 125. Right. So he's definitely going with the Price is Right strategy there. Um, $1. I'm not going to go with $1. Uh, Gap is revising his. He says, okay, 50 bucks. 50 bucks. <laughs> and, and Chris is right. This isn't the Price is Right, but David Motz has some fun with that. So... Um, you know what? I am going to go prices rice and say everybody's overbidding. I'm going one dollar. <laughs> one dollar. Okay, I'm going to go, go prices right and say you you all overestimated this one, and I'm going one dollar. All right. So right now on eBay, you can get a graded copy of this card and a 9.0 for a hundred dollars. Hundred dollars. Hundred dollars. And I and I and now here's the thing I didn't find a lot of actual sales data that is what someone's asking. That's what asking but I, price. But I honestly feel like that is not a bad price for this card when you consider number one, it's a first appearance for War Machine. Number two, it's Joju Sko. Like it's a really great looking card. And then number three, um, the population account is relatively low. And and when you when you figure in your grading fees for PSA. That's probably not a bad price. Um, so again, on eBay right now, I found one, 100 bucks. Population count low. Again, first appearance, great art. When you figure in the grading fees, shipping, everything else, I think, I think that's actually not a bad price for this particular card because it is a first appearance. So $100. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because we have seen cards like this uh, from these like masterpiece collections that have all that kind of pedigree, not necessarily a first appearance, uh, but otherwise have a lot of the pedigree of, of uh, you know, good art, good artists, uh, you know, a well done card. And the value is 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 almost nothing. I mean, it's it's really, yeah. really low. Um, it's kind of interesting how that goes. It's like all over the place. Very true, very true. Oh, and, and Chris right. Ro uh, Roberts has taken off. He says, sadly, got to get on the road and head home. Have a great show, guys. Chris Roberts, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate your comments. And don't forget to check us out on the replay. You can always check us out on the replay, and you can always do comments afterwards, and we will respond to your comments after the fact. So uh, catch us on the flip side. All right, so we're going to go ahead and go to our next, our next card. Now, this is going to be my pick for this evening. We only have two. This is going to be my pick for the evening. Um, this is 1994 Fleer Marvel Masterpieces, card number 10. This is the special card, though. This is the War Machine Silver Holofoil. Um, now, this is my Silver Holofoil War Machine card right here. This is the Hildebrandt Brothers. We talked before about the Hildebrandt Brothers. Actually, previous on the show, they did that amazing Rogue card. This is their rendition of War Machine. So, again, fantastic painted artwork. 
um, from a really great set, no less. A really great set. So yeah, I, I like that go, image everybody. a lot. That's a really good dynamic image. I, I definitely like it. Very, very kind of like vintage classic looking also. You know what I mean? Almost almost like an art deco kind of thing. I mean, it's it's really, really an interesting, just, just from an aesthetic point of view, It's a real, that's a really interesting, you know, version of War Machine. And you can't really see it, uh, but the hollow foil is kind of cool. You can see how it's kind of, see it's got a little shimmer sheen to it. Yeah, I can see the little shimmer on there. I hope it's, people it's, at home can see that as well. That's, yeah, that's pretty it's, cool. It's, it, it's cool. It's a really cool looking card. I picked this one because this is an early appearance for War Machine on a card, but secondly, because this is one of the earliest I could find like kind of specialty cards for the character. And I thought, well, if you're going to pick a second one, this is kind of neat. It's great art. It's Hildebrandt Brothers, but it's also got a little effect. So it's kind of a little nicer than just getting a standard card. Um, so this is the pick for this evening. Um, so what do we think, everybody? Those in the Rogues Gallery, feel free to, uh, to chime in. Again, what do we think that you would pay to buy a copy of this card raw? Again, this is the silver hollow foil, so that might throw you off or it might not. What do we think? What do you think, Eric? Yeah, that, that's funny, too, because we've had, we featured those hollow foil cards before. And again, they've been insanely under, well, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to, I don't like to say undervalued when it comes to collectibles, but just in, the value just seems so much lower than I would expect. You would expect, I would expect, a hollow foil card is just going to go for more in general than, than a than a than a typical normal card. Um, it's just they, they pop. They they look a little bit better, right? We already got uh, a couple guesses here. Da David Motz is is going price of right one dollar. He's going to guess we're all going to go way over, so he's going one dollar. Uh, Gap Stargate saying seventy five bucks. Now we are talking ungraded here, by the way, right? We're talking ungraded. raw, ungraded, raw, raw. ungraded. Seventy five bucks. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it'd be seventy five bucks. I, I'm gonna go like I'm gonna go like ten. I'm gonna go like ten bucks. That's that. That would be my guess. I found some examples of this actually on eBay for five dollars. So if you shop around, if you look, again five dollars and up. Um, and those were pretty decent looking quality cards, just like the last one. Um, now the hollow foil, um, is kind of all over the place. Um, but I did, I did actually see a couple where they were $5. And again, if you buy them in a, in a, a grouping of other cards, you know, you can get them for a lot less. That gap's wheel broke. <laughs> he said, <laughs> Um, but it is a really cool card and, and, and you can shop around and get it for a really good price. Now here, here's the trick though, everybody. Um, I did not get it. I didn't, wasn't really able to get any really hard information on the population count for this particular card. Um, but, um, I did find graded examples. Uh, I found some, was it SGC or whatever it is, or SG, whatever the, the sports guarantee company, whatever. I found some, some graded examples of theirs. I did see a few uh, PSAs. Um, mostly the information here I've got is actually from eBay on this particular card. But um, what do we think this one goes for graded, say in a 9.0? What do, what, what do we think? Jeez, uh, I'm, 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 I'm like sitting there in my head. Is this one of those cards that's even worth getting graded or not? Um, 
I people think get them graded anyway. People that, get them graded that, anyway, no matter what, right? What's that? Yeah, that's I think it is, but that's my opinion. So, well, I'm talking from a monetary standpoint, you know what I right. mean? So, um, but then again, maybe that was a hint that, that, that Dave was giving me there. So, uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go 50 bucks. Uh, Gap Stargate's going 11. He's going 11 bucks. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with the, go 50 bucks. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, 50 bucks has it. Uh, I saw, by the way, David really... Mott's got his yeah. as well. He said 50 bucks. There you go. There you go, everybody. Yeah. I saw some really good, uh, graded examples of this, uh, going for $50 and up on eBay. Um, and I saw more than a couple listings actually for it at, at about $50. So, I mean, it's like $49.95, you know, one of those kind of right. deals. Like it's, but I, $50, I feel like is, is a, again, a pretty fair value for this card. Number one, it, it is a silver hollow foil. It's not a standard card. Number two, at least in my mind, anyway, it's a popular character uh, who's, who's been a, an important part of the MCU for quite a few years now. Um, and then number three, um, like I said, by the time you figure in the grading fees, the shipping and everything else, you know, I feel like $50 is a fair price for this card graded if, if it's a 9.0. So there you go. $50. Yeah, it's, it's always crazy to me about those hollow foil cards. You know, it's, you know, you, you think that they would be going for a lot more than they are. And again, you know, to me, the, the, my basis of comparison is, is the Impel cards. But then again, I think the Impel cards... Um, there is a lot of a hype machine behind the Impel cards right now, the, the, the first edition Impel cards. And it's just it's just crazy to see the values of those cards compared to all the other Marvel cards, uh, including even ones that are earlier appearances, because we've covered that. We've covered some of the stickers and things like that from like the 60s. We've even covered like Cracker Jack stuff. I mean, yeah. And um, a lot of that stuff doesn't doesn't really compare to what's been going on with the Marvel Impel cards. So. It's very true. It's very true. And it's just like anything, you know, it's, you know, whatever there's the demand for, you know, is obviously going to drive the prices. But uh, like I said, um, War Machine, you know, popular character. Um, he is, he is, as it currently sits, he is slated to get his own Disney Plus show for Armor Wars. Um, so if you're interested in playing in the speculation game, uh, these are the two picks we had for this evening. And like I said, the thing that's kind of nice is, like I said, you might already have this first appearance card in your collection. Um, this is a highly collected, uh, series of Marvel cards, the Marvel masterpieces from 1993. Um, so there's a really good chance you might already, might already have this one. And that's what I thought would be interesting would be to look at, you know, what does a modern collector maybe already have in their collection and doesn't realize? That's like that Blade card. That Blade card was a really early card, too, and, and I didn't realize that either until we actually started doing research into it. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, you just never know what these cards sometimes. is crazy. True. All right, so what do you have for uh, collectors, uh, for the collectors portion of the show tonight, Eric? Well, I, I did want to give an update on the uh, the campaign that I've been following uh, in terms of uh, this is an independent comic book, uh, Jack the Ripper Vampire Hunter. Um, I do like to promote uh, independent content. Uh, that's something that I'm, I'm going to be trying to do more and more. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I was in, in Las Vegas last week. I did actually attend the Friday Night Tights uh, meetup. We actually did an experimental <laughs> broadcast. Uh, last Thursday where I was live on the scene in Las Vegas uh, while basically uh, Dave was there in Prescott at Retro, Ro Retro Rogues North. 
we like to call it, right? Retro Rogues North. And so um, he was there in the studio while I was out in the field. I was literally at the meetup and I did get a chance to talk with Gary from Nerd Rotic. And uh, although I didn't have him on camera, I did get a chance to talk to him off camera. And uh, one of the things I was talking to him about was, hey, you should promote more independent content on your show. And he said, I should. You know, he didn't disagree with me. And we had a, a good conversation about that. Uh, so I, I try to, uh, you know, I try to put my my money where my mouth is. I plan to support this campaign uh, monetarily. It does have 10 days left in the campaign. Um, this is uh, this is an Indiegogo campaign. It's Jack the Ripper Vampire Hunter. Currently, it sits at twenty eight thousand nine hundred sixty five dollars. So and I think they actually did hit twenty nine thousand. I think it hasn't updated because I think I saw Mandy Summers. Uh, who is the organizer of this campaign. She's the writer, publisher. It's her company, essentially, but she writes this stuff. Um, I think she actually said they did cross 29,000. Maybe it just hasn't updated yet. But they're looking at 452 backers as, as, of, the, as of the update that I have here. Um, it's, it, to me, it's got some fantastic artwork. Uh, you can get the, the, the standard book for $25. So that to me, that is not too bad you know, for, for an independent, uh, independent book. Uh, the artwork to me looks looks uh, amazing. It's from uh, Peter Gilmore. He's the artist from it. Uh, I actually have been able to interact with him quite a bit on Twitter. He's been very nice and, and very kind. So I just wanted to give a quick update on that campaign. So it's on Indiegogo, uh, Jack the Vampire Hunter. And I, I, I wanted to kind of call out the fact of why a lot of this stuff seems to be on Indiegogo and not on Kickstarter. And I had a, a little a little article here, and I'm not sure, Dave, if you had heard about this, and I'm not sure if you if this name rings any bells, if you have any history with this person, have any idea who they are, uh, but I do want to address this. So this is from criticalblast.com. This is not a site I'm very familiar with, but this is one of the few sites I could find that had an article that I could refer you to. And it is confirming a lot of the things that I am hearing on Twitter. So it says, here comes the new boss. Same as the old boss. Kickstarter's new comics consultant comes pre-blocked to indie creators. It says, for the past few years, Kickstarter and Indiegogo have been more than just competing platforms for crowdfunding comic book projects. The division of choice between the two has ranged from preference of user interfaces to the different ways they collect funds from the backers for for some the choice is one of almost a religious fervor with creators recalling how kickstarter removed certain projects in the past with perceived capriciousness it's a sentiment that lingers to such a degree that independent comics professional john malin ruffled many feathers recently by announcing he would not be very open to hosting creators on his podcast if the creators were using Kickstarter as their platform. So part of the reason for this is what's happening here. So we have a tweet from Jamila Rouser. I am not familiar with her at all. Are you familiar with this name at all, Dave? I'm just curious. No. Okay. And remember, Dave actually worked for DC. He actually worked for Marvel. I just, I just want to throw that out there. So Jamila Rouser uh, had a tweet where she said, big news, I'm Kickstarter's new comics consultant. Kickstarter was one of the reasons I felt I even had a chance in making comics the way 
I wanted to make them, and I can't wait to help other creators. Well, she's not off to a good start because this is what tons and tons of comic creators are getting. You're blocked. You are blocked. So I decided to do this myself to see if I was blocked. Because what the article talks about is the reason they think people are getting blocked is not because she's literally just blocking people, but because she's done what's called a blockchain. And the way a blockchain works is basically you block somebody, like let's just take an example like Ethan, okay, <laughs> from Paul Caps Comics, okay? You take someone like that, you block them, and then you block everybody else who follows him or has his hashtags or whatever. You just block everybody associated with them, and it's like a spider web effect, right? So I did decide to try this myself, and I decided to see what would happen uh, if I did this did this myself. And so I am going to show you uh, the results here. So here we go. I have to make sure I have the right uh, Twitter. So here's what happened to me uh, when I try. These tweets are protected. These tweets are protected. So I'm not blocked. She didn't automatically block me. I do follow Ethan. I do follow a lot of the Comicsgate people, which I think is what who she's trying to block, quite frankly. I think she doesn't want the Comicsgaters involved with, with uh, Kickstarter. I think that's very obvious. Uh, and so I wondered if because of the people that I follow and interact with, she blocked me. No, but these tweets are protected. Um, and I have to say, yeah, I don't think I have any interest in doing a Kickstarter anytime soon. Uh, not with that kind of attitude. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> David Mott says it's because, because you follow me because I follow David Mott's. <laughs> That's why <laughs> could be David. Could be, could be. In fact, I think I just recently started following you on Twitter. I think that just happened very recently. Uh, and of course, Gap, Gap Stargate says, damn the blockchain. So what do you think about this, uh, uh, Dave? You know, you are a creator. You do independent comics. I'd be curious what would happen if you did this, you know, if you're blocked or if you if you're, if her tweets are protected from you. The fact that she has to approve you when she's supposed to be reaching out and helping creators. I'm just curious what you think about this. Well, all right. So here's here's the deal. Um, I've never been a big fan of gatekeepers um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, when Lynn Markman and I did Bushy Tells back in the day, one of the big, biggest problems and issues that we had to try and overcome was getting a lot of the comic book stores just to carry Bushy Tales in, in the first place. And a lot of the resistance came from the fact that we needed to get into the diamond, uh, the diamond catalog. If we weren't in the diamond previews catalog, basically almost all the stores we talked to told us that, um, no, we're not, we're not going to carry your book because it, it's too much trouble to order from too many different channels. And I, and I remember Lynn mentioned on a previous episode, yeah. you guys came out right before crowdfunding really became big. So crowdfunding yeah. wasn't really an option for Bushy Tales, right? Nope. I mean, that wasn't really nope. a thing yet, you know. And and let me and let me be perfectly clear about a few things too. I am I'm like a diehard independent guy. I, I've always been an independent guy. Um, 
you know, I love helping and supporting in independent projects. I don't have any problems with opinions and voices that are different than mine. I feel like we all should be able to be a part of the conversation and the discourse, um, irregardless. But pretty much every project that I've ever worked on has featured primarily female characters. Bushi Tales was about four female samurais and on a quest by Hachiman, a Japanese god of war. Um, you know, we had four strong female heroes. Um, the uh, one of the other and big in projects, Red Skirts, you have five strong yeah, female exactly. heroes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, and so, you know, and so I, I I don't have any issues with strong female characters or strong female heroes. I don't, you know, I have friends who, who are part of a lot of different, you know, communities and stuff and everything. Um, so, you know, I, you know, for example, like uh, one of my favorite podcast interviews I've ever getting, given was on uh, TG Geeks, the, the two gay geeks. Uh, Keith and Ben, like they're awesome. Those they're guys, I, I love they're those awesome. guys. Uh, they, you know, they, they, so they supported us a lot on occupants, and I'll never, I'll never forget them for that. For for all the support they gave us on our crowdfunding project that we did with Russ for, with our comic book, which was the occupants, the occupants tie-in. So we do have experience with this. As far as yeah, if your viewers are wondering, are these guys just talking out of their assholes right now? No, no we've actually done it. We've actually done a crowdfunding. Yeah. It was successful. We actually published a comic book. Very exclusive, by the way. Very exclusive book, but we did it. So, yeah, and and I've been a part of a lot of different, you know, crowdfunding campaigns, and most of the comic book crowdfunding campaigns have been on Indiegogo. The only campaign that I feel like we struggled the most with was the one that was on Kickstarter. Um, and you know, take from that what what you will, you know. But I just I'm not a big fan of gatekeepers, and I'm not a big fan of people who who are a little bit too narrow in, in their point of view of, of the world. You know, um, if you don't like someone's project, their message, what they represent, you, then you don't have to support them. But I feel like at the same point, just automatically, just like if your goal is to reach out to people to develop and bring projects onto a platform, um, I just feel like from, from the jump, you know, isolating a lot of independent creators is a little bit too far reaching in my mind. Now, if you've had interactions with these people and, and you know, you don't like them, that's different, I guess. I don't know. It, it gets into that weird area, though. But, but, but th this is a good example that this is not the case here, because she's she's basically saying, unless I approve you, you can't even see my tweets. Yeah. You know, and to yeah. me, I mean, why are you even out there publishing? You know what I mean? Like, right. That doesn't make any sense to me. If if you're that if you're that sensitive or you you need to hide your tweets, um, yeah, there's a problem there. And especially when you're when you're going into Kickstarter, Kickstarter is a major brand. It's a major platform. Lots of people try to do comics on Kickstarter. Lots of people do do comics on Kickstarter. You know what I mean? So, but it seems to me more and more Indiegogo is a place to go. It, it's it's much more friendly towards the indie creator. They're not putting up all those hurdles as much as Kickstarter seems to be doing. And this doesn't help with that perception. This does not help. Right. Tweets are protected or you're instantly blocked. You know what I mean? That, that, that to me, is, is not a good way to go. Uh, we do have a couple comments. Uh, Gap Stargate says, damn the blockchain. I agree with you, Gap. I think that's really crazy because, you know, literally a lot of people only follow people because they, they, they like to hate them. So that's kind of weird, right? So you follow somebody because you like to 
you like to rain on his parade and they're going to block you anyway, just because you're following that person. So blockchains to me don't really make a lot of sense. That's a very much a shotgun approach, right? Where you're, you're going to hit things that you don't mean to hit, you know? So I'm more of a sniper, if you will, if that analogy makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> so uh, he also says that's not a cool attitude that they have. Um, and David Mott says, I want to support independent and local, meaning Arizona, because uh, Dave and I were all from Arizona. You know, David Mott's Dave. I, I, I keep, okay. When I'm talking about my co-host, I'm going to just have to say Dave. When I'm talking about David Mott's, I'm going to say <laughs> David. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll say David Mott's. But uh, it's like, yeah, I do want to support more projects uh, in my local community. And that also goes with film. I, I would love to see more film doing, you know, being done here in Arizona. You know, I've tried to have that discussion with my director, Russ Emanuel, many times. And, you know, it's, it's tough because with film, the, infra the infrastructure just isn't in Arizona. It's just not there. But the thing that's cool about comics is you can do a comic book anywhere. You know, you can do a comic book anywhere, literally anywhere in the world you can do a comic book. So, uh, yeah, I definitely want to support more indie. I definitely want to see more projects happening in my home state. But uh, this is not the way to support independent content, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think Kickstarter's it. made a real bad move here in, in supporting this person. My my big thing, like I said, is I'm not a huge fan of gatekeepers. Uh, right. When 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 you're talking about independent projects and, um, you know, all the hurdles and all the difficulty that we went through trying to get Bushy Tells in, into stores, and and it was literally like, you know, we we had one person uh, tell me that it's like, oh well, samurai books don't sell, so. What's the point? You know? <laughs> Samurai books and, don't sell. Interesting. And it was weird because we would submit it, you know, and then it would go through uh, an initial review and then it would go to these retailers for like a second follow-up review. And we got rejected multiple times. And I, so I've just never been a big fan of, of gatekeepers. You know, I understand like if you feel like the product's not, you know, good for your business or your brand or whatever. I understand that. But just from just from the jump already being like no, that, that's a little, it's a little heavy-handed in, in my mind. Yeah, it's it's totally heavy-handed in my mind, and, and 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 we're not and we're also talking about two different animals in a way because, you know, Diamond being a, a, a you know a distribution company, even though they were the basically the only one. Although I do remember Cold Cut, I remember talking to those guys. I do remember talking to FM back in the day before they both went under. Both of them competing for the last three percent of the market. I think they were telling me. <laughs> so <laughs> literally, I, I had conversations with these guys at San Diego Comic Con, uh, and, and they had an open policy, by the way. Like I remember Cold Cut, you they didn't care what the book was; they would take it, and they would let the market decide. And I like that. I like that approach. But I do understand from a distribution standpoint if you don't want to do that, right? But when you talk about crowdfunding, crowdfunding should be essentially neutral, unless you're like yeah. advocating like, 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 like the overthrow of the government or, or or direct direct action violence, where you're saying I'm going to kill this person. You know what I mean? Uh, it should be open. You know what I mean to to whoever. It should be like an open platform, and they should just be letting the market decide who they want to support and who they don't want to support. That, that's the way I see it. Um, you know, a gap gap does another, uh, another kind of uh, good comment uh, talking about that coordinator. It's not cool. It stifles creativity. She's afraid. And it's like, what is she afraid of? Why can't her, her posts be public? Mine are, 
my, my, my Twitter's an open book. Anybody can go to my Twitter and see all the comments that I make. Uh, I try not to post anything political, but I'll respond to political stuff. So if you want to know, it's there. You know what I mean? That's the thing about the internet. It's there. But then these other people have to hide. And, and it gets you to like, what are they hiding? And yet they're gatekeeping. That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy, right? That's a, like the definition of hypocrisy. They have to hide, but then they're also going to gatekeep. Yeah, I don't have a lot of respect for that. You know, so... And uh, Gap also says, I submit that people really want all kinds of different comics, not just the Main Street ones. Totally agree, Gap. Totally agree. That's what I want to see is like, I say this all the time. I feel like a broken record. I did not primarily grow up on superhero comic books. And those are the most successful books. I grew up on G.I. Joe and Transformers. Those were the, the books that I collected. They were licensed properties and very different than the cartoons. Transformer comic book and Transformer cartoon are totally different beasts. G.I. Joe cartoon, G.I. Joe uh, comic book, totally different beasts. Totally different. In tone, uh, the way that characters were injured or killed, consequences, very different stuff. So I do appreciate different genres of comic books. Instead of, I think a lot of people, especially a lot of the mainstream, they think of comic books as a genre. In other words, it's all superhero and it's like you hear the term comic book movie, right? They're talking about superhero movies because in their mind, that's all comic books are. They're, they're, it's just superheroes. There's nothing else. Um, and then James had a comment. He said, uh, hey, fellas, automatic blocking based on associate feels wrong. I'm sure I'm friends online, Twitter, et cetera, that may be controversial. But if that means I'll be blocked or shadow banned from a site like uh, Kickstarter or whatever, Feels like an unfair method of selection, if that makes sense. And James, I also made the point, some people follow other people just to make fun of them and just to, just to troll them too, you know what I mean? So it, it, so you're actually alienating people that, that might actually be on, on your, same, your same side, you know what I mean? That, that, that's my other point too with the, this sort of blockchain thing that's happening, which is really weird because I've, I've seen tons of people that I follow showing their little screen capture of this particular person and they're blocked. And these are people that are currently producing comics that are making tens of thousands of dollars. And you're telling me Kickstarter doesn't want that money? I mean, that's not that's bad business. I was going to talk about, because, uh, you know, we're talking about all different kinds of comics. Some of my favorite comics growing up were independent comics. And I thought I'd show some of these here real quick. So uh, Adventure Publications used to publish a, a line of comics called... Uh, warriors and adventurers i used to love these comic books back i love the, the day. i like, love the cover that's a great cover i'm not familiar with the book get, but that's a great cover wish i could cut the glare down a little bit but this is warriors this is another issue here of of warriors got a, a fantasy uh dwarf kind of guy on there like a um and then uh this was a, a great series back in the day too it was published by aerosol called warlock five and these are all black and white independent comics. This is the stuff I grew up loving and reading as a kid. It looks like Gap has heard of Warriors. He says, Warriors, oh my God, yes. I've never never heard of that particular title before. So, Yeah, and this is, uh, again, Warlock 5. And then this is still one of my favorites to this day. This is uh, Roadkill. Um, and this is actually kind of like a, a novel um, uh, by uh, it was uh, Del, Delson Jr. and David Dorman. And it's actually, it's, um, it's basically, it's, it's a book. It's like a novel. 
I can't really get a good, good shot of this. Anyhow, it's like a novel in a, in a comic book format. Um, but all these black and white huh. comics, like this is the stuff I grew up reading and, and loving as a kid is all this kind of stuff. I mean, I love, I love superhero stuff too, but um, these things I read as much as the other stuff. And, and this stuff is still out. I have a whole uh, shelf over here that's full of this kind of stuff because I love this stuff. This is why things like Bushy Tales exist, um, you know, is because of my love of, of, you know, black and white independent comics. So I'm, I'm a big, huge fan of independent comics. And I feel like that there should be more channels for more people to explore and uh, get the chance to read and experience just all this amazing creativity from all these different artists because there's there's so many people out there creating. I mean, when you talk about and that's the thing because I remember back in the day, like this stuff was like everywhere, like you know, and it was just it was just really kind of cool and fun. And you know, so much of it now, why I love Batman and Superman and Spider Man and whoever, you know, um, I feel like independent comics really you know, needs as many channels and opportunities, you know, for people to find and discover it. Because, you know, the difference between a black and white book like this, you know, for an independent artist who isn't a part of a, a giant corporation, it doesn't take much for them to be financially stable and continue to publish and create more work. You know, so you're actually helping to create like almost like a cottage industry for that artist or that creator or that writer. And we should want to support that you know, and have more channels and, and more opportunities, you know, and, and not automatically be like cutting things off. I just, at least that's how I feel about it. You know, there, there, there you go. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And, and I, and I do feel like there's a lot more, there's a lot more opportunity if you want to do something besides a superhero comic book, when it comes to independent publishing, you know, that, that's just, just the way it is. Not to say that there aren't, uh, established publishers that, that don't do other genres of books, uh, especially like licensed stuff. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll, they'll do, there's a decent amount of licensed stuff out there, where, whether we talk about Star Trek or Star Wars or even Ghostbusters, those, those kinds of things. But when it's truly independent, uh, when it's truly your, like your thing, it's a new idea, it's hard. It's hard to get Marvel or DC to bite off on a new project. It's almost impossible, I think. I mean, you've worked for them. I think it's it's yeah. almost impossible at this point to come in to Marvel or DC with a brand new idea and have them publish. I can't think of the last time they did that. You know what I mean? It's, where they where they yeah, created it, it, a completely new universe or something like that that's not related to the Marvel verse or the DC verse, and it's just its own thing. Well, DC used to have Vertigo, right? They used to have Vertigo, yeah. but that's long gone now, right? So. Paradox Press, another another thing that's long gone, another DC thing, by the way. So as much as as much crap as we give DC and Time Warner sometimes, at least they've tried, I guess. I, I don't see it on the market. Yeah, they, side. I don't there's see it been, on the side. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's definitely been avenues. Um, but um I, I'm just a big believer in, you know, the the end of, you know, if if there's a channel and if you can be independent and you can own and control your own work you're always going to be better off that way in the end. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, you know, not everything is rainbows and butterflies or whatever the hell, you know, <laughs> whatever. Candy, ice cream yeah, and, there you go. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not going to be that, you know, some things will be more popular than others, you know, um, you know, but, but I just, um, 
I'm just a big believer in, in you owning and controlling as much of your own work as you can, because if there is an opportunity there, um, you're going to have uh, the ability to do more with it than than if you kind of hand the reins off to off to someone else. So I'm, a, you know, I, I love the fact that there's more channels and more opportunities, hopefully for independent artists and creators. And I want to see more of that. We've talked more and more about that off the air of it that we're, we're trying to find an avenue for this show, for this show to be more about that, um, but still have a little bit of the pop culture stuff in there for people to talk up just in general. You know what, what, Len- Gary, what Gary from Nerd Roddick said to me, I just, I just want to mention this, what Gary from Nerd Roddick said to me when I brought this topic up to him, um, and I thought it was a very good point, and it's very true, and it, it's really got me thinking if, if there's something I could do, we could do to fill this gap, which is... There is no like real central clearinghouse for independent stuff. In other words, it's not readily accessible because basically everybody is doing their own little campaign by themselves, right? You know, you don't go to you can't go to Variety or even Deadline and necessarily have them tell you about these projects because they're so busy feeding the Hollywood hype machine, right? And so that that this stuff goes under radar. So it really gets me thinking, and I'll even put that out to the rogues gallery. It's something to think about. If you are part of this where you believe in promoting more independent content, you want to see more independent content, think about that. What are avenues that we can do to promote this stuff that we could provide some kind of a central clearinghouse, a, a variety, if you will, or a Hollywood reporter, if you will, uh, you know, uh, entertainment tonight kind of thing that is for independent content where people can find this stuff you know, easily, because you got to make it easy for people. If you make them seek this stuff out, there are people that will do that. But but the 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 mainstream audience, the casual fan will never do that. You cannot expect the casual fan to go out and seek anything out. They don't do that. They want it to come to them, you know. So just just something to think about. Um, yeah. And then uh Lynn Workman had a comment. He says, best I can remember, we could never get the cold cuts <laughs> to return or answer our phone calls. You're correct, Lynn. It never I actually I actually met calls. the cold cut guy specifically at San Diego Comic-Con. I went to his panel. You guys never did that? Just go to their panel and talk to the guy? I think, to be honest with you, Eric, at, at, at San Diego, Eric and uh, Eric, Lynn and I were constantly behind the booth trying to sell. Right, of course. And, yeah, that and, makes sense. And so... We didn't, didn't go, go to, to a lot of panels. Like we didn't, yeah, go to we were on the floor. Like it was, I remember at one point, <laughs> San Diego is such a long convention. I remember at one point I was just kind of leaning on my hands like this. And I was staring off down this long, cause the, the center of the event area is huge. And there was a panel of some movie or something going on. So it was very desolate. And I was just kind of staring off and you could see different people doing things at their different booths. And I was just kind of leaning on my hand, staring off. And I was just thinking, it's like, I wonder if this was like working at a mall. Um, so, you know, San Diego is very much a job. You know, you, you get there before the floor floor opens and, and you never know who you're talking to. So you, you just got to sell, push, sell, right. push, sell, push. Um, yeah, we were this close to getting a movie deal at one point because, you know, we were just constantly like promoting and talking it up. But, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. You know, yeah. that's how it goes. But, you know, still, you should take your shot and 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 make the effort. Um, Lynn also says uh, 
we did have a lot of retailers pick up and support the books before we were in Diamond and totally appreciate all they did for us, especially the local Arizona and Memphis area shops. And I will second what Lynn is saying. I greatly, greatly appreciate all of the local shops that picked up and, and carried our books back when, you know, um, no one would really give us a shot, um, you know, like comics and collectibles in the Memphis area. Um, I remember uh, specifically um, uh, Mike Banks with Samurai Comics was a big supporter of Bushy Tales. I mean, it kind of makes sense, Samurai Comics, Bushy Tales, right? But, you know, Mike Banks is a big supporter, you know, and, and he was an early supporter. Um, and there was some other people who, even though we were local, they wouldn't carry the books at first. Um, so, you know, a lot of kudos, a lot of love, a lot of thank you goes out to those, uh, those independent, not independent, but those local Arizona, uh, comic shops and Memphis area comic shops that, that picked up Bushy Tales and carried and, and supported the work. And those that continue to support, um, independent, uh, creators. I know that, uh, Mike Banks at Samurai still supports independent creators and, and gives them a forum and a place to showcase their, their books. I think Comics and Collectibles in Memphis still does that. I know Corio Cab Comics up in Flagstaff does that. And that Josh Game On, you know, like, so there are, and anyone that I'm missing, I'm not meaning to miss you, but I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's really important. You know, the comics, the comics community at the end of the day is a community. And even though we don't agree on everything all the time, um, I do think it is important that we come together as a community and, and support each other, especially on the independent scene. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. I had some good experiences on the local side as well uh, when it came to the book that I self-published. So, and Mike Banks was one of them. So, got to got to give him his props because uh, he's a class act and he does support. Uh, he supports local and he supports independent. Um, you know, there's just he's he's a, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. Uh, let's see what other comments do we get behind on. Uh, so back when we were talking about the 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 Kickstarter uh, sort of uh, coordinator fiasco, if the, if you will, James Stone said uh, one thing to keep in mind with with blocking people or or just you know whatever you're going to be doing that blockchain thing says there may be people that follow people that don't know their quote unquote extracurricular activities, right? Maybe they're just following because they like the book. And they don't know anything about that person. You know what I mean? And they don't care. You know what I mean? So I think that's a good point. I think that's a, uh, I think it's, I think that's a good point. Um, and then I think Lynn has a little bit of different perspective. He says, I'm guessing if someone does a blockchain, they may have a good reason like trolls and worse. Couldn't care less if someone blocks me either directly or indirectly on any social media. Heck, I didn't even know what a blockchain or that I could block until a lot of the nastiness in fandom started happening online. Some folks take it too far, too personally, and cross a lot of lines. Very true, Lynn, very true. But I will say, uh, I will stick to my guns in that you should not, if, that's, if you want to do that, you should not be the comics coordinator for Kickstarter. Uh, you need to be open to all voices if you're in that position. Just my opinion. And we can always disagree, Len. We can always disagree. <laughs> and he also mentions guilt by association, perhaps. That does happen. Guilt by association. Very, very, very true. All right. Very cool. Oh, and, and um, Gap, uh, Gap did comment on my, uh, my, my, my little uh, promotion ideas for independent. He says it's a, a great idea. Uh, niche bubble for for you two 
you know, so that that's a kind of kind of something that he's saying a, a little suggestion for us. And he also says uh, E.T. style would be would be cool, you know, like an entertainment tonight for independent projects, something like that. That's what I'm thinking. It's just it's just germinating in my brain right now. You know what I mean? So I'm just throwing well, it out there. So one of my favorite uh, podcasts back in the day, back when podcasting was new and, and a big supporter actually of Bushy Tales was actually Indie Spinner Rack. And Indie Spinner Rack, they used to, as it sounds, you know, primarily focus and, and feature independent titles and, and independent creators. And they could you imagine an actual time. independent spinner rack like at Circle K or something? Because that's what I always think about the spinner rack. I don't think of comic book stores. I think back in the day of growing up and your local convenience store literally had a spinner rack of comics on it. Now, of course, well, now I, even Marvel and DC can't do that anymore. But could you imagine if like you had an independent rack you know what i mean at a convenience store it was that easy to pick something up oh man that would be so cool <laughs> well at, at, at the 7-eleven around the corner from my house and, and at a few different places once upon a time you could you could find some now comics uh comic books primarily licensed material that was from an independent studio um i remember seeing things like fright night real ghostbusters um that or that first terminator comic book series way back in the day um you know you did at one point a green hornet very briefly uh you could actually find some of those kind of independent titles actually on spinner racks and in stores but again it was still licensed material but now comics was definitely an, an independent uh publisher so yeah, and Gap says that's that's where I used to find my comics and trading cards was at the local convenience store. I think yeah. uh, a lot of I don't know exactly how old you are, Gap, but but people I know of, of my generation that was the case. The only time I went to a comic book store was to get like uh, back issues or try to try to find something valuable. Like I remember buying the first issue of GI Joe, and you know I hadn't gotten it when it first came out. I got into the series later, you know. Um, and it was like 20 bucks, which, you know, to, we were all like, <gasps> you know, my, my dad was like, that was, that's outrageous, but we did it, you know, um, that's what I remember. And it's kind of funny because I feel like it's going back that way. I feel now your successful comic book stores, the ones that are going to be successful and are going to make it, they're getting out of new comics and they're just doing back issues because it's such a pain in the ass to do new comics and they're not selling. They're not selling. So all right very cool <laughs> and gap says he's 29 and holding got it gap you got it <laughs> all right you got it. uh do we want to do a uh, little bit of news and stuff here well we got some big breaking news right we got some yeah. big breaking news yeah. that we got to talk about so let's get to it all right okay uh do you want to bring up your article or you, you want me to use mine uh e either one i got mine ready to go do you have yours ready to go yeah, I mean it's it's over here. I just have to share it on my screen. I was gonna go from ESPN. Yeah, uh, are you gonna were you gonna do fine. ESPN or okay? I think right. mine was Let from me... the Wall Street Journal, but it doesn't matter. So let's just oh, get okay. something up there because this is right. this is a big topic, folks. This is a big topic. Oh, hold we're on. Into trading there cards. This is this is like we could be seeing the end of an era here. All right. So let me apologize for the flickering there. Sometimes that happens here when I switch the screens over. So this is coming from ESPN. Um, and this is uh, this actually broke uh, actually a little bit before the show started today. Uh, this is being reported by Dan 
Hadjuki, who's a reporter slash researcher. Apologies for the name mispronunciation. Um, we're going to read just a little bit about this, and then we're just going to get into this topic. Those who in the rogues gallery, we want to know what you think about this because this is crazy. So the headline says, Fanatic strikes deal to become exclusive licensee for Major League Baseball cards. All right. It says, Memorabilia Leviathan Fanatics, continuing its push into the collecting space, has cemented a deal with Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association for the exclusive licenses to produce baseball cards. Wow. According to memo from MLBPA, Obtained by ESPN, a Fanatics-founded company that has yet to be named will be the exclusive licensee in the baseball card category after Panini and Topps licenses with the MLBPA expired, expires at the end of 2022. The deal also includes the National Bas Basketball Players Association and the NFL Players Association, who along with the MLBPA will have equity in this new venture as well MLB and the NBA, according to a report in the Wall Street Journal. That's probably your article, Eric. Um, the distinction between rights with players' unions and our league are notable. For example, Panini, which has the MLBPA license but no MLB license, produces baseball cards but isn't allowed to show MLB team logos. Huh. Tops, which has deals with the MLB and MLBPA, currently produces baseball cards with players' images and the MLB team logos. MLB MLB's uh, deal with Tops has extended uh, was extended in 2018. It runs through 2025. Tops has been the exclusive licensee for Major League uh, Baseball-backed baseball cards since 2009. It was also only recently announced that Fanatics-backed uh, Candy Digital has the exclusive MLB NFT rights. Now, here's a big one. Wow. That's I have huge. been watching the tops move because there was that, was it the SPAC, SPAC, whatever the heck it's called, uh, move where tops was going to eventually become a public company tradable uh, as a stock. And so I had been watching for when Tops was going to go live because I thought that would be an interesting investment to play, you know, for me to invest money in. Um, because I thought, well, Tops being able to sell NFTs right. of these famous baseball players and specifically their famous baseball cards, like the Mickey Mantle card and whatever, I was like, that's really interesting to me. I want to be a part of that. So I literally have money setting aside that's been waiting for Tops to go public. There's no point now. Right. There's no point now because basically what this is telling us is this fanatics group company, whatever the heck it is, I'd never heard of them before today. <laughs> basically, this is one of several articles that I've read that basically almost makes it sound like these fanat this fanatic company owns everything sports related. And then it gets weird because there was a lot of speculation and talk about, well, what does this mean for Star Wars? Because Topps has been publishing Star Wars trading cards like forever. Um, and and it's just, and, and one of the few things that's still sitting out there that they haven't gobbled up 
Um, there's a few, I think a couple of the soccer leagues and NASCAR and one of the other ones was hockey and hockey is actually published by upper deck, I believe. And it's just sort of like, well, how is this going to change the trading card dynamic overall? If all of a sudden your two biggest player, like tops and whatever, if they can't really do baseball cards or trading cards of their sports players, and it, like I said, this bleeds over into other things. You know, Absolutely. this is going to impact what's happening with the top Star Wars. I just thought this was crazy. And there's been a lot of speculation about what's going on. But what do you think about this, Eric? Well, I was, we, we had talked about this uh, previously. I think we had talked about tops. And we were interested in the, the, non, uh, the non-fungible tokens, the NFTs. And, and we thought that was kind of an exciting thing and a way to get into that you know, without having to get into it. We've talked about Funko is another one. It's a way to get into that without necessarily directly doing those, directly doing an NFT. Uh, because I'll, I'll be honest, I think NFTs are kind of stupid, but if I can make money at it, I can make money at it. And that's all I care about, right? So, you know, if you want to give me your money, give me your money, you know what I mean? But uh, I, I thought it was exciting because you just never know. I mean, we've seen what's happened with cryptocurrency, right? I mean, you could have made a lot of money. Could have lost a lot of money too, right? I mean, people have lost a lot of money in, in, in crypto, but you could have made a lot of money. And I thought Tops was was like a soft way to get into this. And now I'm like, I think Tops is gonna die. I think Tops is dead. I think they're gone. I think that I think I mean it's a dead man walking at this point, you know. Uh Gap Stargate says, Oh, hell no, exclusive. There goes creativity and variety. Tops was also working with Miko. I did not know they were working with Miko. That's interesting. I actually saw the Amigo booth at uh, 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 the the event formerly known as Star Trek Vegas. That's what I like to call it since they lost the license. <laughs> Another person lost the license, Creation Entertainment. They lost the license to Star Trek. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy what's going on. Uh, I literally think we could be seeing the end of tops. Uh, Lynn Workman says, Fanatics does a lot of sports merch. See their commercials constantly during NHL games, uh, National Hockey League. Says Nikki has been buying, collecting women's soccer cards by Parkside, and she has gotten a couple autograph cards. So that's interesting. So uh, you're saying, as far as 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 NHL fanatics already does that, and then uh, as far as soccer, it looks like Parkside is doing some of that stuff. Because I know that soccer to me seems like that's going to be an emerging market. You know what I mean? As far as trading cards, because the sport is incredibly popular internationally and continues to gain popularity in the United States. Like we have a minor league soccer team in the Phoenix area called Phoenix rising. And I know they want to be major league. Like that's the idea. They eventually want to be major league soccer. So I, I think that's going to be a continuing area to grow, but I don't know what tops is going to do. Um, you know, gap says it's going to ruin the trading cards world. And I don't know. I mean, tops has been around forever and, uh, I, I thought that they were doing big things. I thought they were poised to do some big things. Now I feel like they're poised for collapse unless they figure something out. There was some speculation by different people on a diff- couple of different YouTube shows and stuff and whatever I listened to. And, and I heard some people kind of speculating that they could almost see that this is kind of like a power play to kind of eventually buy tops you know, you take the legs out from under the company and then you come in after they've basically been devalued because you took away their major asset and then you get the rest of the company for pennies of the dollar. I mean, to me, it almost sounds 
And really, you're just yeah. buying the name. That's all Fanatics needs. Because right. if Fanatics makes their own cards anyway, all they really want is the top's name. It's like, uh, what was the um, the Chris Farley movie? The the the. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? The uh, yeah, really good movie. I, I, I was I was almost thinking just like um, Tommy what Boy. Happens... Tommy Boy. Yeah, where the, where I they was... basically Dan Aykroyd's character just basically wants to take the product that 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 uh, Chris Farley's father had made. He was uh, he made auto parts. And he basically just wanted the name, and he would because he could produce the part himself. He was going to close down the the actual, you know, the actual uh, factory, right? And just you know, keep the box. You know what I mean? That was all he wanted was the box and the name because the name stood for quality. But of course, he was going to make it in his own factory. So that you know what I mean? That's the way they think. That's that's I just want to throw that out there. I feel like that's the way corporate America thinks, you know, they don't, they don't care about the actual company and how they make things or produce things, you know, they're going to do it their own way. Right. So. Right. And, and, and the way I was thinking of it is like when you go and you buy like one of these vintage star Wars figures, right? Like it has the Kenner logo on there, but Kenner technically doesn't exist anymore. You know, it, it, yeah. I, I would imagine eventually it's, it's going to be like that. You can still buy a tops card, but the company that once was tops, the, the, the Marvel legends exist line anymore. The Marvel Legends line that I promote all the time is the Kenner Marvel Legends line. It's almost like I call it like a what if toy. Um, I've got some around here somewhere. It's like it has the Kenner logo on it, but it's made by Hasbro. They're just using yeah. they're just using the name because Kenner doesn't exist. It's it's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. Uh, and Gap had a a link. If anybody's interested, I actually do want to check this out. www.tots.com/migo. Uh, so this is a press release because I didn't hear about this. So I would be interested to see what the deal is that Top has with Mego. That's an interesting deal. A a uh, a trading card company with a toy company. That's interesting, especially considering that Mego, for the most part, what I see of Mego today, it's all licensed stuff. So that's interesting. I got, I want to check that out. I definitely want to check that out. That that might be a good topic of conversation for a future collector's corner. Well, and it would be interesting to talk about it now too, in, in light of this news. Like, you know, um, what what is? I mean, I really am kind of dumbstruck by what exactly does this even mean? I mean, yeah, you know, and 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 the ramifications for this are so huge. I mean, just imagine if if you own a, a sports card shop and and you sell sports cards, like that's what you do. Yeah, I mean, and then and then you read this. What the hell? Like, I mean. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, it's just it 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 it's uh it's far reaching, and I feel like the effects are going to be felt for a very long time. And I, it's weird because too, I feel like only the last few years I've been noticing a lot more attention in the sports card market, and it, it felt like that trading cards as a whole was beginning to come back into the public consciousness, and people are starting to talk and think about them more. In the general public, not not among those of us who are diehard fans or whatever. I'm not going to use the term fanatics right now, but those <laughs> of us that were that were already into this stuff, yeah, you know. But I've heard, you know, more civilians. You know, some people call them normies or normal people, but I call them civilians. I've heard more civilians talking about it lately. Ca casual fans. I also like that. There term. you go. Just the yeah. Casual, yeah, casual fan, fans. You know, so. Yeah. Um. And so to me, I it's weird because it, it reminds me of. You know, back in the day when there was so much heat and attention and interest in the comic book industry at one point, back in the, the mid to late 90s, and then Marvel came in and then bought one of the distributors 
and you know was trying to consolidate everything they did under one roof the only thing they didn't have at that time was a distributor because they bought the company that was making their trading cards they bought the company that was making their action figures they <laughs> bought the printing company that was printing their books like they've been consolidating <laughs> everything to the point that the only thing they didn't have was their own distributor and then they went out and then they bought i think it was heroes world they went out and bought their own distributor too <laughs> And that move almost destroyed the comic book industry in, right. in the wake of everything that came afterwards. So that's what I was thinking of. I was like, geez, Louise, what does this mean to the guy who has the sports card shop where he sells sports cards? What the hell does this mean for that guy, you know, or lady for that matter? It might be like what I said about comic book stores. Uh, no more new stuff. Just focus on the old stuff. I mean, I really feel like for a lot of comic book stores, that's the only way they're going to survive. I've already seen that trend locally. In fact, I know someone that has a shop like that. He does not sell anything new, nothing. He does not deal with diamond or whatever DC does now. And of course, Marvel's doing something else now. So there's now at least what three distributors out there, assuming you're not doing like the, the newsprint type stuff, which I think that's pretty much dead. Nobody really gets comics that way anymore. You know, the old newsstand, the old newsstand subscription, the returnables, you know, when you actually could return the books. Um, I think that's completely dead. Uh, but, you know, the, the, there's probably a few books that still do that. But it's like, you know, it, it, there there are these other avenues, but a lot of people, they're just, they're done. They're not going to do new books anymore, you know, and that might be something that happens with trading cards. We, you know, we'll just have to see. Uh, Lynn had an interesting perspective uh, working at Tops. He said, I had a hard time getting paid by Tops back when I was doing Star Wars cards. It says he wouldn't be surprised at all if Fanatics is, is buying out Tops. That's from somebody that actually uh, did some work uh, for Tops. Uh, that, that's a really interesting perspective, and I appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, who knows? I mean, who knows where this is going to go? And, and and Gap makes the great point that I think we want to be asking on this show is, what does that mean for non-sports trading cards? Ultimately, that's, that's that's what this show is ask is ultimately asking yeah. the question as well. Is like, what does this mean for non-sports trading cards? Absolutely. Now, I will I will say along those lines because I, I am quite the the trading card fan myself and I am uh, starting to get back into doing actually trading cards too. So eventually hopefully some people better go to Kirby Tees and actually buy trading cards because I am starting to produce uh, trading cards at Kirby Tees that'll actually go along with the t-shirts and stuff. So we I will be eventually doing that over at, at Kirby Tees. But it's and that's interesting. A, it's a good looking car, by the way. I really like that. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I'm still I'm still messing with the shirt because I, I, I still don't like how it, it came out. And it's so weird because I feel like I need to ink it traditionally. <laughs> yeah. I feel there like I go. need to ink it In case you couldn't see it, folks. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I feel like I need to ink it traditionally and then and then recolor it and then reseparate it. And I'm I'm gonna print it again and, and see if I can get it to look better. So Gap digs it. He says that's cool, Dave, because I think that's the first Thanks. time Gap has seen that card. So, yeah, I, I like it a lot. He said he says I, I'd buy one. So yeah, there you go. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, we I'm, I'm working on a project that likes to go along with the cards and, and the shirts, and we should hopefully you know be saying more about that you know d down the road. Um, but yeah, what does this mean for the non sports card you know market and and those shops that that sell the non sports? I, I I don't know. It's, it's it. 
and, and and like I said, it has so much implications. Whether you want to talk about the card shop owner, whether you want to talk about the people that are working for the company, whether you want to talk about you know the people who do go to the conventions and the, the sports card shows that are selling and dealing in these things, and maybe it's a a side income or it's just their their hobby that they love. And then you turn around and when you talk about like the the you know, even like the speculators and people that want to invest in the market. Like I had money sitting aside for when tops went public. Right. There's no reason to do that now, right. you know? And, and, and that's the thing. It's like, this has got huge far reaching implications. And what kills me about this too, I didn't hear any about anything about this at all until it broke. It's like, it just yeah. broke out of nowhere. There was no rumblings about it. You know, I, I listened to a lot of business stuff and investor stuff like all day. Well, not all day, but most of the day when I'm still working here at the studio. Um, and I'm just like, did I miss something? Like, right. <laughs> it feels like it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. It feels like it just came out of nowhere, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's really interesting what, what, what's going on right now. And, and I think it's going to have, you know, it's going to have effects that we can't predict. It's going to be sort of a spiral effect where things are going to happen and it's going to be very hard to predict exactly what happens. But ultimately, I do feel like, uh, tops is is on the ropes and is it's probably going to be acquired uh, because uh, that's the brand name I think they want. You know what I mean? I, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, the name they have is confusing. I mean, I I never heard of Fanatics before. You know what I mean? And, and you know, I think of Fanatics as a fan, right? I don't think of it as a company. Right. So I could see them wanting wanting to get that brand name, you know? Um, Lynn had an interesting insight into, into the sort of return of, of sports cars. He says, I have seen a few sports collector card shows coming back here in, Vem in Memphis and Nashville lately. Uh, was it one in Bartlett last weekend? A couple others are scheduled for this fall. Um, and that also gets into a topic that I don't think we're going to be able to really cover in depth because we do have one more name topic we got to get into. But, uh, you know, recently I was at the event formerly known as Star Trek Vegas. And uh, Dave, you were recently at a, at a convention as well. And it does yeah. seem like uh, some of these events are starting to, co to come back. You know what I mean? As far as these actual physical events. The event you went to was in Prescott Valley, right? Yeah. So, and uh, you know, did you have any any did you have any insight into how, you know, how that was going as far as, you know, that was a collect, that was a comic centered show, right? It was kind Co of more pop centered. culture. It's kind of pop, more culture, pop in general. culture, you know, cosplay and the whole thing. Um, the, uh, the, the fandom mania event, uh, which was at the Finley Toyota center. Um, it was, it was a really great event. Everybody seemed to be having a really good time. Um, the, uh, it was a great venue too. Like the space was actually really great as well. Um, it was, it was actually Kirby tees. My t-shirt company was Kirby tees actually first official outing actually with, you know, designs out on the table and talking to the public and, and showing them the kind of work and what we're doing. Um, and it, it was a really good event for Kirby tees. Uh, you know, people really liked the dad original superhero shirt. They liked the mom original superhero shirt. Those two of the designs I had people, I sold some of Sarah Aerosmith's uh, brains or magic shirts. Um, I sold a Skeletor shirt, which was really great. And I love Skeletor. Skeletor. I, I like I like Skeletor a lot. I think that's just a really fun concept. So and and it was interesting too because 
Somehow, um, some I, way, for people that don't know, somehow, some way, Skeletor proved himself worthy <laughs> to wield Thor's hammer. I just love yeah. that concept of the Skeletor. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting because the reason the Skeletor shirt went out is because we had sold so well of our, our shirts and stuff that I actually needed to fill a space. And so I had my sample bag there. So if I was talking to a business owner, for example, and they were interested in custom printing, I wanted to have more samples there to show people. Like I printed this hat I'm wearing, for example. Like I don't sell these hats, but it's it's a printed example of one of the things that Kirby Tees can do. So that would I, have been good. That would have been good for me in Vegas to have had that. Yeah. At the event and, formerly known as Star Trek Vegas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love saying so, that. I'm sorry. I just love saying that. <laughs> so yeah, the, the event went really well. Um, and like I said, the Skeletor shirt went out. It was actually the older design Skeletor shirt, not the new one. So I put the old design actually back up on Kirby Tees. So over at Kirby Tees, you can now buy both of the Skeletor designs now. Um, and because I didn't know if people would really like it um, as much as the new one. And uh, yeah, it, basically, as soon as I put it out and actually had it centered on the little display, uh, this guy walked over, was interested in it, and, and it sold right away. And it made me feel good because I, I believe, obviously, in the designs and the artists that, you know, we're representing over Kirby T's, like the Janimal and Sarah Aerosmith and James Stone. Like, I, I believe in their art and, and the quality of what they're doing and, and obviously the quality of what Kirby T's can do. And um, so it's really kind of cool to see people reacting and responding to what we're doing favorably over there at Kirby T's. Um, and a, a big announcement, I'm, I'm going to be focusing more on Kirby T's moving forward. Um, so um, I'm going to be trying to do more events uh, this year into next year. Uh, I'm actually talking to the Janimal. He has an event he's wanting to do actually in, I think he said November. And I'm actually thinking about setting up with him actually that that uh, same event and us trying to have some other, other T-shirt designs and stuff available. Um so yeah, so I'm I'm not done doing events and hopefully going out on the road and and showing off what we're doing over at uh, Kirby Tees. Yeah, I I wanted to I actually wanted to get more into events in general just because Dave and I went to two different events, two very different types of events in different places. Um, but uh, this does provide me a good segue because I was at the event formerly known as Star Trek Vegas, and they were of course celebrating Roddenberry's hundredth birthday. And I felt that we absolutely, being the Trekkies that we are uh, on this show, um, that we had to talk about this a little bit. And I did find a, an article. Uh, here we go from Deadline. And it says, um, and I thought this was really interesting because I did not know about this. And interestingly enough, I did not hear anything about this at the convention. I don't know if anybody addressed this. I did see Rod uh, around. I didn't go to any of his panels. Rod, of course, is... Gene's son, uh, who is a producer on uh, Discovery and also producer on uh, Picard, an executive producer. But uh, this Deadline article says Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry biop, biop, bio, biopic, you know, biopic, biopic, right? That's the way you pronounce it, is in the works with you don't know Jack scribe Adam Mazur. Says here's some news that's fitting for a day that would be Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry's 100th birthday. Roddenberry Entertainment has been working quietly on a feature biopic of the sci-fi TV icon. And there is a script by Adam Mazur, whose credits include the Emmy-winning script for the 2010 HBO movie, You Don't Know Jack, 
which starred Al Pacino as Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Uh, producers include Star Trek caretakers Rod Roddenberry and Trevor and Trevor Roth, who executive produce all current franchise series, including Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. Uh, next up, the development will be finding a director and actors. So on Roddenberry's 100th birthday, had you heard about that they're trying to make a film about Gene's life? Did you know about that, Dave? No, no, I, I, I hadn't heard anything about <laughs> it at all. <laughs> so you had a communication breakdown there, huh? So I did. Had, I, had I, had a, it. I had a communication breakdown. I, 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 did not, I did not get that information over here. And uh, of course, uh, you know, Gap Stargate has given us the Vulcan salute. So I will give it back to you, Gap. Definitely live long and prosper. David Mott says, of course, beam me up. Of course, of course. Um, and of course, <laughs> Gap says, I hope it's not like Mommy Dearest. Laugh out loud. Hey, Rod's producing it. We may get some, uh, we get, may get some weird stuff. You never know. You never know. I've never heard Rod say anything really bad about his father. Uh, the biggest thing I think about that relationship that's interesting, because I've, I've heard Rod say it in his own words, is Rod was really young when Gene died. Rod was only like 17. So in a lot of ways, um, he, he, he didn't know his father all that well. You know what I mean? Because he was very young. I also always think it's really interesting. I've always wanted to ask Rod about this. I always think it's interesting that basically Wesley is the same age as, as Rod. And I feel like that was not unintentional. There's something there that Gene had created this teenager to be on the ship. You know what I mean? That was basically the same age as his son. So I've always wondered if he's, if he's really connected on that or not. I don't know if anybody's ever asked him about that. I've always wondered about it because I feel like that can't be just a coincidence that that he made Wesley be so young and put him as one of the, you know, the principals, one of the main characters, you know, on the show when he had this young son at the same time. So um, it'd be interesting, you know, uh, Gene, for people that don't know, Gene really did have a really crazy, interesting life. So his life story beyond Trek actually, to me, would be fascinating uh, to use a to quote a certain Vulcan. Um I mean, the man was a combat pilot in World War II. He was a Pan Am uh, pilot. Uh, there was a neat uh, thing they had uh, at Star Trek Vegas where they had this printing of the story of this, this Pan Am flight that had crashed. And a lot of the people had died, including the, 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 the pilot. He was the co-pilot. And it talked about their survival and everything. I, I believe it was uh, in North Africa where this plane had crashed. Really interesting story. And I, because of that, my understanding was Gene was kind of like in constant pain. He had been in like two or three plane crashes. Um, and he did get involved with substance abuse at one time, which is ironic because he was also a police officer. He was a police officer and was even a sergeant for the LAPD at one time. Right before he really got into writing, he was a, a, a police sergeant for the LAPD. So the guy had a really eventful life, not to mention all of his lovers because he was quite the womanizer. You know what I mean? Uh, he really was. So uh, really interesting stuff. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, especially with Rod being the caretaker, as they say, and him being heavily involved with this, how far he's willing to go, you know, and showing the life story of his father. What do you think about that, Dave? Um, I think it'd be interesting. Um, you know, I, I would enjoy watching a, a biopic to learn more about uh, Gene Roddenberry's life. Um I find it really fascinating. You know, um, one of the 
the neat things I've bought over the years was back when CDs were a thing. I got the uh, the remastered version of the Star Trek The Motion Picture Score by Jerry uh, Jerry Goldsmith, which my money, you know, I love Wrath of Khan by James Horner, but I still think Star Trek The Motion Picture still got some of the best Star Trek music in it of all time. Um, and one of the things that's neat about that is it has, as at least that particular release of it, it had as an extra uh, bonus feature an additional disc that had the the LP for the This Is Star Trek that had all the different interview segments and stuff and whatever. And it was really interesting right. hearing Gene because, you know, Gene is on a lot of those and, you know, talking to DeForest Kelly and talking to Mark Leonard. Um, and it was just really, you know, obviously talking to William Shatner. And it was very interesting hearing him talk about Star Trek and stuff in his own words. So the thing that's kind of neat is there has been over the years between you know, convention uh, stuff that they've recorded and whatever. We do have a lot of Gene's words and, and his own thoughts, obviously, besides just his writing. So I think it could be interesting. So. I wonder who, they, who they'll cast as Gene and if they'll have to do different actors or they'll have to age him up. Because obviously, again, some of the most interesting parts of Gene's life were before Trek when he was a young younger man. Um, you know, obviously his experiences in World War II, his experiences as a pilot, even even as a police officer, you know what I mean. He he was that was all before Star Trek, and to me that is fascinating. Again, um, I, I would love to see uh, uh, you know some 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 of that stuff. Uh, so he's got a lot, a lot. He, he had a very he had a very rich life in that sense that he he did a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, besides Star Trek, and I, I I wonder how they'll how they'll approach that. And if they will have to do like multiple actors, I, I don't even know who I would cast as gene, honestly. And then of course it'd be interesting if they do do a lot of the star Trek focus, are they going to have to cast William Shatner? You know what I mean? Are they going to have to cast Leonard Nimoy? Are they going to have to cast people not as the character, not as Kirk and not as, 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 uh, as Spock, but you know, as the men, you know what I mean? And their relationship they had with this man. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what their approach is, because there's definitely a lot of angles that can go with. And again, he had a lot happen in his life. So to me, it'll be interesting to see what they actually focus on, you know, because well, the obvious thing, I guess, is they focus on Star Trek. But let's face it. We've heard Star Trek stories all over the place. Uh, one of the best documentaries that I really like, um, it was for the 25th anniversary and it was the 25th anniversary version of the i think it was interplay they made a game a star trek game uh it's one of those like point and click adventure type games i really loved it and they made a 25th anniversary edition of it and the 25th anniversary came with an interview with gene that was part of the big thing for it and the interview is awesome and gene gives his thoughts on just about every kind of big nerdy trekky question you can imagine about the show and everything and gives his perspective, which is also interesting because other cast and crew contradict some of the things he says. So you, it's kind of funny because let's face it, people do remember things differently and sometimes people indulge or even lie. So it's kind of like this on record thing that I have where he does say something different than some of the other people. And it's neat. I, I do recommend that if, even if you can't get the game to work, I think the, uh, the, the interview itself was just like a CD-ROM or something like that that you could just plug in the computer and, and, and listen to. I've got it here somewhere, I think, even back here somewhere. But um, that's the one I really like. So I recommend it if you can ever find it. 
Uh, you know, it's one of those things they obviously did for the 25th anniversary. A lot of good Trek information if you're interested in it. And again, it's Gene's particular perspective. And again, there are other people that say differently because that's just the way people are, you know, so. No, yeah, and it, it's interesting because there's been some talk over here in the Rogues Gallery about who they think would be good to play uh, Gene Roddenberry. And I have a suggestion myself. Looking at this picture, you know, Gene at this stage in his life when Star Trek was being produced, um, you know, and, and an interesting actor, again, I'm not a Hollywood guy, but an interesting actor I think might be actually uh, Paul Giamatti just because um, he is a great actor. Of course, I know he played Harvey Picar um, in, uh, shoot, what's the name of that movie? It's actually a really good movie. I can't remember the name of it, about the comic book uh, writer Harvey Picar, but um, there's just a little bit of resemblance in the face, and and uh, Paul Giamatti's a great actor. Uh, James Stone says, I'm thinking Liev Shriver, maybe. That's interesting. That is an interesting casting right there. Um, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. Uh, he is a very versatile actor, so I'm, I'm sure he could pull it off. Uh, that, that's an interesting choice. I mean, uh, you know, as Gap says, it, I just it better be a great actor to play Gene. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? That's the bottom line. <laughs> it's got to be somebody good, you know. Oh, but then again, you never know. I mean, could they, if they if they did it like two almost like two eras where they had two different actors, one playing him younger and one playing him older. I suppose you could go with like a like an unknown to play the young Gene if, if that's the route they went. But uh, I I I I don't know because you. Again, it depends on what the emphasis is going to be. Like I said, I think some of the most interesting things he did was before Star Trek. You know, I, I really do. I think some of the most interesting things he did was was before Star Trek. And it's also the lesser known stuff because everybody goes in for Star Trek. You know, that's that's the go to thing. But he had a whole nother life, you know, before all that, you know, which I think is really interesting. Well, and even some of the shows that he wrote for before star trek 2 um, right and and the lieutenant other... right i think that was his big break yeah. the lieutenant i think was his big break um, and then there's and there's other actors and actresses too that he had interaction with that they would also have to cast like for example who are they going to cast to play lucille ball that would I be mean, really neat uh, that would be neat you yeah. know so because i know for me We've all heard the stories, but but I'd love to see some kind of a dramatic dramatic reenactment, you know, of you know some of those meetings that that was you know held, you know, where they were pitching it to Desi Lu and some yeah. of the correspondence and the the issues, you know, with the show in the early years. I mean, I would, you know, I would just think that'd be really interesting to to see that kind of uh, play out and 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 get a different kind of context for what what that might have been like. I've worked with Sean Kenny, you know, and he played, you know, uh, you know, uh, Captain Christopher Pike, you know, in the wheelchair and everything. And he said Lucille Ball used to actually come on set. She was active. She was like an act. She would come up there and she'd be smoking, you know, packs and everything like that with that scratchy voice and be like, oh, what's what's going on here? What's up with the guy with the ears? What's going on? You know what I mean? Like she would show up. And I never heard stories like that before. You know, I always always kind of pictured her up in the office if I pictured her at all. You know, it's almost like one of those things where you forget that Desi Lu was the was the studio that made the original series, you know, um, and you forget the role that Lucille Ball had, you know. And that's also another interesting thing is 
even though you know Roddenberry, uh, Gene Roddenberry is credited as the cre the creator of Star Trek. The fact of the matter is there was a lot of other people involved with very critical decisions. And that's also some, some place where the contradiction comes in when you hear Gene's version and then you'll hear somebody else's version. You know what I mean? Of, of how that came to be. How, how do we decide to do this character this way? Where did the Vulcan nerve pinch come from? You know, things like that. Weird things like that. People will have different perspectives on. And so it'll be interesting to see if, if they, you know, how they approach it, if they address it at all. You know what I mean? Those those little little contradictions that have happened over the years where different members of the cast and crew have said different things. So which version do you go with? You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. So it, it'll be interesting. I, I, I hope it goes forward. Obviously, at this point, it looks like, you know, they're still looking for a director. So it's still very early. They basically just have a script. It sounds like, you know, that they, they've got a script, but they don't have a director yet. And casting, of course, is going to be an interesting an interesting uh, ordeal, I think, uh, as far as, as doing this, because I think there's going to be a lot of people that'll be, you know, like anything Star Trek, they're going to have strong opinions. You know, Gap Stargate goes right to it's like, I wonder what Gene would have thought of Discovery. That's a big can of worms right there, Gap, because there's a lot of people that say that he's rolling in his grave right now. And there's other people that are saying it's great. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, to me, uh, regardless of what you think of Discovery, it's extremely divisive within the fandom. That's that's on. It's very divisive. But then again, a lot of Trek has been. You know, uh, watch Chaos on the Bridge. Uh, I highly recommend Chaos on the Bridge. If you if you are a hardcore Trekkie, particularly uh, a next gen fan, uh, but also a TOS fan, um, per, but particularly if you're a next gen fan, you got to see Chaos on the Bridge because they really get into it uh, and and they do talk. They do. They don't always talk very uh, lovingly about Gene on that uh, documentary. They really don't. They get into it. So, um, and there was a lot of controversy. They get into that. I mean, I remember it as a kid. You know, there were people that were not happy about Next Generation at all, you know, that that was happening. And that includes the cast. You know, there's another good documentary called, I think it's called The Captain's Chairs or something. It's actually uh, Whoopi Goldberg's The Host. And they have Patrick Stewart uh, with Jonathan Frakes, and they have uh, William Shatner with Leonard Nimoy. And Leonard and 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 William are pretty adamant that they were not happy about Next Gen at all. I mean, they were not happy about it at all, and they never watched it. They never watched it, and, and of course Nimoy was on it, and he never watched it. <laughs> you know, he actually was on a couple episodes. So it's it's kind of interesting those perspectives. Uh, so. Yeah, it's it's not always uh, it's not always uh, it's not always fun in uh, in in Trekkieville. Sometimes we have our, our strong opinions, right? You know that's what fandom is all about. That's why we're called. That's why it's short for fanatic, right? <laughs> so. All right. Well, there you go. Um, all right, cool. Do you have anything else that you want to cover for this episode? No, I, we went a little bit over than I wanted to. I just wanted to make sure we covered all the stuff that was actually in the description. So I think we've done that. Um, I do want to do one other thing here just real quickly. Um, I'm going to put this up here on, on the screen. Um, so this, uh, this broke, um, well, actually recently. Um, this is coming from Bloomberg. And the reason it's coming from Bloomberg is when I tried to go to Variety and whatever else, there was too many pop-up ads and stuff. But I did want to mention the passing of uh, uh, Sonny Chiba. So um, this is coming from Bloomberg. 
Um, and uh, this was actually via the Associated uh, Press. Um, it says, Japanese martial artist film star Sonny Chiba dies at 82. This is uh, Tokyo Guinness Come Associated Press. This is uh, Japanese actor Sonny Chiba, who vowed uh, who wowed the world with his martial arts skills in more than 100 films, including Kill Bill, has died. He was 82. Chiba, known as in Japan as uh, Shin, Shinichi Chiba, my apologies if I'm saying this incorrectly, uh, died late Thursday in a hospital near Tokyo where he had been treated for COVID-19 since August 8th. Tokyo-based um, Astria, his, or Astrea, whatever it is, his management office said in a statement Friday, it said uh, he had not been vaccinated. Now, I'm not, I'm just reading this. I'm not trying to give you a political opinion. I want to talk about Sun Chiba. It says Chiba Rose star, started in Japan in the 1960s, portraying samurai uh, fighters and police detectives, the anguished so called anti heroes trying to survive in a violent world. He did many of the stunt scenes himself. His overseas career took off after his 1970s Japanese film, The Street Fighter proved popular in the United States. American uh, director Quentin Tarantino listed his work as among his grindhouse or lower-budget kitsch cinema favorites. Um, so Sonny Chiba is one of those just absolutely tremendous uh, actors and martial artists who I was a big fan of. I have always been a big fan of. Um, if you have not seen the Street Fighter movies, I cannot recommend the Street Fighter movies enough. Uh, especially if you like old school karate, um, if you uh, also enjoy just just kind of, it, especially viewing it through a modern filmmaker's uh, sensibilities. If you want to see some crazy stuff, you definitely need to check out uh, Street Fighter. Um, really, really great films. Um, he was in so many great films. I, I can't begin to list all of them. Um, but uh, one of my favorite uh, martial arts movie actors, uh, Sonny Chiba. Just want to take a moment and uh, mention his passing. Had had you heard that Sonny Chiba had passed, Eric? Only from you. Um, I uh, I was not I, I was not familiar with his career, uh, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to lie and say that I was. Um, but uh, you know, James Stone obviously knew who he was. He says, "Rest in peace." And uh, Ronnie is not happy about it. I can tell you that. <laughs> And regarding those films that you were talking about, uh, the Street Fighter films, he says they're an absolute blast, Ronnie. Ronnie says so. Um, again, I'm not familiar with him, but uh, obviously uh, the passing of, of anyone, especially uh, in the pandemic era and all that stuff, it's 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 not to be taken lightly. It's it's a sad thing. Yeah, yeah. And I I just wanted to mention it uh, just because uh, Sonny Chiba is a, a tremendous martial artist and tremendous actor. Um, and again, if you have not seen the Street Fighter films, I cannot recommend them enough. They are a lot of fun. Um, and, and I think Ronnie says it best that they're an absolute blast. So um, if you haven't seen them, definitely search out uh, Street Fighter with uh, Sonny Chiba. I think you will in, enjoy it. Um, and oh, then, James, uh, James Stone says he's working on a, a, a Sonny tribute art piece as we speak. There you go. There you go. Very cool, James. Very cool. All right. Uh, do we have anything else we want to cover for this episode? No, I think I, I'm good. So unless you have anything okay. else you want to cover, I think I think we're good to wrap it up. No, no, I think we're good. Um, all right. So I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Retro Rogues Live. Um, I want to thank you for hopefully watching or listening to this episode. 
uh, covered a lot of varied topics uh, this evening. Uh, so I want to encourage you, if you missed any of it, if you're curious about what we do here at the Retro Rogues Live, I want to encourage you, please check out uh, any one of the replays. You can watch us over on YouTube, uh, over on uh, Eric's channel, The Base Guide 14. You can find all the previous episodes there. Um, if you prefer to just listen to us talk, um, you can actually check out the audio version of the show, which is available on uh Stitcher, Spotify, whatever else. We're on a lot of different services. You can find a lot of those over there at my website, which is over at DaveBeatty.com. That's www.davebeatty.com. And it's funny, I still say the www sometimes when I do that because it makes you think of home movies and that whole bit with you don't have to say www all the time. <laughs> we know what it means. And I still do it. I still do it. It's a joke in home movies, and I still do it. But anyhow, um, you can find the links, actually, for the audio show uh, over there, as well as links, too, to the Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're curious about my career, there's artwork and stuff on there as well. You can check that out, too. Uh, but uh, the big thing uh, for me these days is Kirby uh, Tees. That's my T-shirt company. Definitely check out what we have going on over there at Kirby Tees. we got the Skeletor Designs collaboration between the Janimal and myself. Uh, we also have the Brains or Magic shirt by Sarah Aerosmith. We have a lot of really great t-shirt designs. We have a Retro Rogues live shirt actually featuring the artwork of uh, Mr. James Stone, who's been here in the Rogues Gallery commenting this evening, um, which is actually the um, the Rogue Knight shirt, um, which has a little quote on there. Um, but definitely check that out. Uh, see what we have going on over there. And and possibly consider purchasing a Retro a Retro Rogues Live t-shirt for yourself and supporting what we're doing here on the show. We would greatly appreciate your support. But enough about that. Um, I want to thank my great co-host, Mr. Eric Alexander, for being on, on here. As always, providing his unique perspective and point of view on all the different topics that we discuss during the course of one of our episodes. Eric, please tell the folks who'll be watching or listening at home some of the... Well, I'm doing the wrong intro. I'm doing the intro. <laughs> please tell the folks that we're watching or listening at home where they can learn more about you on the interwebs. Well, I'm most active on Twitter. You can find me there at BaseGod14. That's at B-A-S-S-G-O-D-1-4. Uh, my DMs are wide open. Uh, I also do the stream on there. So if you comment, you know, make comments there on the stream, more likely than not, you'll, you'll get the response from me. That's also the official uh, YouTube right now. That's also the official Twitch. Again, so if you make comments on those platforms, more likely than not, I'll be the one responding to you. If you have any suggestions about content that you want us to review, uh, obviously right now we're, we're focusing mostly on things like comic books. We're focusing on things like action figures, trading cards. Uh, we have talked about getting a little bit more into video games. So if you have some video game stuff you want us to talk about, uh, but when it comes to news, uh, you know, all things go. So if you've got any rumors, if you know about some sort of movie news, TV news, uh, any of that kind of stuff, streaming stuff, we do streaming wars coverage on this show. Uh, let us know if you've heard anything, because uh, we definitely like to talk about it. And we like to talk about it with you in the rogues gallery, because you make it a lot more fun when you're out there and you're active as you have been tonight. So uh, David Mott says, uh, thanks, guys. David Mott's know we thank you for checking out the show and, and being an active participant. And then uh, Gap Stargate, he, he says, great stream, guys. And uh, we're going to go ahead and leave Gap with the last word. 